a weird episode, man. Get out while you still can. Get out while you still can. You're running out of time. It's episode 13. You know shit's going down. One hit wonders of the world, but really just America. Welcome back to the only Are podcast. Are you not going to have Malcolm say the number of the episode like we do on every other episode with guests? Man, I forgot. Malcolm, you see what I'm fucking dealing with. You right? know what? Absolute incompetence. This is a farce of a... Just, what the hell, man? You understand why we're the only show that puts out episodes less than Dan Carlin. You know what? <laughs> less than Dave Chappelle. It's true. It's true. We should, I, I guess we should mention which episode this is, though. You want to do that? We want to say the episode title a few times so I can, like, get a really good take Let me... of, of, yeah, so people will know where we are. It's a roadmap. Directions. Directory. We are in Dick Cheney's undisclosed location. <laughs> and this is episode, episode 13. Lucky number 13. 13. Give it, give it to me. Hot and heavy. Thirteen. Thirteen. No, that was that was a different. That's eleven. Thirteen. 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 Wham. Okay. This isn't the wham episode. This is the Devo episode. We're not doing wham. Wham had more than one hit too. Good, good, good job. My bluff has been called. Go ahead and go ahead and knock this one to the stars, buddy. Why don't you whip out a good? Episode number 13. Okay. Um, Let's hear it. These two men are asking me to whip it out, and this is episode 13 of this particular podcast. Oh, whip it out for One Hit Wonders of the World, episode 13. You know it. Feeling unluckier than ever. How are... Who is that? Who is that stranger on the podcast? Familiar voice, recognize it. Who's that belong to? Show yourself, stranger. Um, Which one of us are you asking to introduce ourselves? Yeah. I usually do my thing before the guest comes on. Yeah. I'm feeling real wonky this time around. Let's you mean you I, don't I, remember I, how the show works at all? Is that what you we mean? We can tell. This is your show. I, I think I have amnesia, and I'm gonna need someone else to like take over for me. Trevor, can you handle this? No, I'm way too tired to be like uh, the thrust of the show tonight. You're really gonna have to shape up and steer this show. You know yes. what? You know, I I honestly am a fan of the direction of the show is going now. It feels like you're Kermit and we're like the two old white dudes in the audience just heckling you the whole time. I'm very okay with that. Trevor, if you're okay with that, I, w- I would like to continue. Yeah, I'll be interested in seeing how Max is able to perform under that kind of pressure yeah. throughout the episode. Yeah. I love it. Fuck it, we'll do it live. I love it. So we've established that Trevor is here, but I'm I'm blind and I don't know who the other person is. We haven't established that I'm here because I haven't introduced myself because you haven't asked me to introduce myself. Nope, and I'm never going to. <laughs> okay. Who are you? So Either of you. Go for it, Trevor. That's Trevor. I'm, I'm Trevor Graff. <laughs> there you go. Hey. 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 And I am Isaac Hayes, not Malcolm. Um, <laughs> I was here a very long time ago, and now I'm here. Yeah, again. Malcolm, what episode were you on for? Oh God, I yeah, um, math is not my thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was on for no, it was it was we let the dogs out. Whatever episode that was, whatever number that was. Yeah, yeah. 
episode five, Who Let the Dogs Out, a whopping, uh, eight episodes ago. It's the Jesus. best episode, though. So, Snake know. eyes. Best episode with the worst audio. We're fixing that this time. I'm Maxton Stenstrom. I guess my co-host can introduce himself now if he wants. I did earlier. <laughs> you missed when I did it. <laughs> Maybe you should do it one more time in case there were some people who missed it. Don't do it. No. Yeah. Fight the power. They, they can rewind, huh? Fuck it. And we're not redoing this whole thing over again at any point. You gotta sit with this, what you've done. Ugh. I'm I really goddamn Forever. I gotta I gotta whip it into shape, man. You gotta, I gotta whip it into shape. Much like much like America in the in the mid eighties, you gotta whip it good. Oh <laughs> I hope that we can whip it better than I have currently been whipping it so far. I think I've been whiffing it. I've been whiffing it pretty good. I need to be whipping it a little bit better. Whiffing it good. Anyway, oh my god, Devo. Devo's here. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Devo. It's the, it, it's, 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 it's Devo. They've always been everywhere. Where's the first time you heard Devo? I really can't remember. I mean, like... Malcolm? I'm positive that it was in some, like, random Taco Bell commercial where Whip It played in the background. Yeah, it was a commercial or something. This song is ubiquitous, though. It's yeah. everywhere, and it's been everywhere since I was... Or like that kid. Swiffer commercial. Yes! That was me. That was <laughs> Swiff It Good. Swiff It Good. Like, it was like... It was like a real, like, version of the song. It was a cover, but it sounded too pristine to be a cover. Like, Let me just say, though... I, I completely disagree with you on that one particular point about the cover because covers get on my nerves and I know they're not going to pay however much money sure. to get the whole thing but also they made it dumb and like swiffery and it's like eh because then you just want to listen to the actual song do we want to play the do we want to play that swiffer commercial would that be fun yeah, to do yeah let me I guess yeah, we have let me, to let me, let me I think we have to at this mm. point Here, here's a bit of the swiffer wet jet whip it commercial Yo, <laughs> she's going hard as shit. Swiffer wet jet removes two times more dirty I mean, this is an iconic commercial. To clean faster than ever. I hope it's not genetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to break to you, homegirl, but it's genetic. That's going to be her in 30 years. Honestly, great commercial. Like, really, one of the best commercials ever. And I think part of what makes it so good is that, that that's not a cover. It's not a cover. It's not a cover it's band. Simple. It's Devo. Devo actually recorded Devo that. Devo recorded that. I would say that they don't make them like that anymore, but I feel like if I were to turn on the TV right now, there's a pretty good <laughs> chance that within, like, ten minutes, I could find a TV commercial being soundtracked uh, to Whip It by Devo. Probably. Probably.
Maxon, do you like this song? Is this a song that like you've enjoyed hearing? I love this song. I think maybe there was a time in my life where I like thought it was maybe mildly annoying, but I think I've gotten past that and really embraced it. I don't think that that period of my life lasted very long. Like I think that was right before I really started to get into music. Like I don't know. It's 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 always been it's always been a pretty solid, serviceable weirdo rock song. Like many of my favorite kind of alt rocky college radio hits like this and the talking heads and you know that kind of thing i don't really like it what have you ever it makes me it, no it makes me a little uncomfortable and a little anxious what like it's just like it's a little too high strung and neurotic that's what's so good about I it i do enjoy that aspect of it when i'm like able to remove myself from it like from a spectator standpoint but when i'm listening to it I just feel like I'm being yelled at by <laughs> two neurotic, nerdy men you who are. are trying to get me to do something very urgently. And <laughs> it's very important, and I just get stressed out listening to this song. Plus, there are like the weird, like erotic, sexual undertones that we'll talk about, but mainly it's it's the anxiety. So this song makes you anxious. Is this the first one hit wonder we've covered that you have outright disliked? I think it might you know, be. I don't I don't outright dislike it. I think that's being a little harsh. I just don't enjoy okay. listening to it. I like it as a song. I think it's very well done and very well made. But for you and the effect it has on you, it's just not something that you want to really seek out. When it comes on in public, I, I start to like get a little antsy, you know? What about you, Malcolm? You know what? Um I'm kind of in a weird boat because for the most part, I don't love 80s music in general. And I think in particular for me, this song is a very big representation of what a lot of the 80s music I can't stand is like. But I do happen to love this song. Interesting paradox. What are some of the songs that that this song reminds you of from the 80s that you can't really stand? Can you name those? Can you, any of them off yeah, the top of Yeah, what are head? some other songs that you would sort into the same genre of? It's kind of funny. Not It's not even the same genre, but just the same kind of feel. Mm-hmm. But they're all songs that at one point in time, I was either just strangely indifferent about, like I had heard it, and it would just be like, okay, I know what song that is. And then I move on with my day. <laughs> okay. Or it would just kind of leave one of those like eerie kind of feelings. Like the thing, the one that comes off the top of my head I can think about is um, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. Whoa, you don't like that one. No, 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 not that I don't like it. At first I did when I was younger. It was just like, like not that I didn't like it. It was just like, the song is weird. Like now that I'm, you know, a distinguished Renaissance man. <laughs> And, and, you know, with refined music tastes, I can appreciate um, Sweet Dreams. Sure. I also really love, and I know that you either did this episode or you're going to do it. I really love Funky Town, and I kind of put it in that same sort of category. Ooh, Funky Town! That, that's, that's, a, that's a to-do. That's a to-do. We'll get you on for that Funky one. Town also does kind of make me anxious now that I think about Funky Town. There's a lot going on in a song. You, neither of you guys want to go to take a train to Funky Town. No, no one's interested in this in this one-way ticket I have. I'm going to wait till the next stop. The other thing about this song and also Whip It is that they're good to work out to. Well, like once every like 3,000 days when I decide to actually go work out. <laughs> but it's a good song Same. to work out to. Because of that reason, it's very high strong and you just feel like you have to run. And I, I, I personally hate running. But this song comes on and it's like, yeah, like, I, you know, you feel like you're in one of those old, like, fitness videos with some, like, fitness instructor that looks like Jamie Lee Curtis with, like, far too many armbands on. 
and a headband and like really pumping it. Yeah. Like you know that one fitness video is always a meme all the time. Like it's that kind of vibe. Yeah. And that's how I feel when I'm in there like what's like some pastel workout gear on far too short of shorts. You know. Everyone just doing it. <laughs> all right, everyone, get your sweatpants on. It's time to learn about Devo, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to whip it. It's time to whip it. Uh, let's uh, this imagine, uh, if you will, uh, Pamela Anderson with uh, uh, never mind. Um, so no, what? no picture picture Pamela Anderson uh, <laughs> up there, you know, in the front of a workout a calisthenics class in her you know 80s workout gear yeah uh, addressing addressing the students with a whip in hand there in the audience sitting sitting crisscross applesauce in my sweatpants is me and i raise my <laughs> hand and i ask uh but miss anderson what does the name devo mean and i pamela anderson respond <laughs> the name devo comes from the concept of de-evolution the idea that instead of continuing to evolve, mankind has actually begun to regress, bro, as evidenced by the dysfunction and herd mentality of American society today. And this was a concept that was very important to two students of Kent State University, uh, an art school in the late 1960s by the name of uh, Gerald Casal and Bob Lewis, who created a number of satirical art pieces, among them, the band Devo. And then around 1970, Gerard, excuse me, Gerald and Bob met Mark Mothersbaugh, a talented keyboardist who had been playing with the band Flossy Bobbit. That's that's a band name, for sure. Someone came up with it. I feel it. like that's a good first impression of Mark Mothersbaugh, you know? Like, hey, what's up? I'm a keyboardist. I'm in a band called Flossy Bobbit. Yeah. <laughs> like, you you know what you're getting into with this guy, I feel like. Isn't he, like, didn't we also make note that he was, like, associated in a roundabout way with Who Let the Dogs Out? Was he? Yes. I feel like we came to some conclusion about I, that. We, we mentioned him in that episode because I think Who Let the Dogs Out was on the soundtrack for... Uh, Rugrats in Paris, which I believe. Oh yes, which Mark Mothersbaugh. Yeah. Yes, when that right. is, we're we're closing the circle here. It's all coming together. His hands are just in everything. It's like Quincy Jones at the board. He's gonna get to be pretty legendary. But before all that happened, he started a band with Gerald and Bob called Devo in at Kent State University in 1970 i think it was right yep around that time mark mothersbaugh introduced gerald and bob to material like the pamphlet jocko homo heavenbound which included an illustration of a winged devil labeled de-evolution and this would later inspire the devo song of the same name Jocko Homo. The joke about de-evolution became serious following the Kent State shootings of May 4th, 1970. This event would be cited multiple times as the impetus for forming the band. However, throughout the band's career, Devo would still often be considered a quote-unquote joke band by the music press. You don't often hear people associating Devo with school shootings, but maybe you should. This also reminds me of, remember how... Damon Auburn made the first Gorillaz album, and then 9-11 happened, and then he made every other Gorillaz album. Or remember how 9-11 happened, and then Gerard Way started My Chemical Romance. Yo, remember how 9-11 happened? Think about it a lot. There's a whole 9-11 core genre of music. 9-11. Oh. I said 9-11, 9-11. So let's talk about Devo's music. Uh, 
which they started playing at their first shows in uh, 1973 at the Kent State Performing Arts Festival. They originally performed as a sextet comprised of uh, Casal, Lewis, and Mothersbaugh, in addition to Gerald's brother Bob on guitar and their friends Rod Reisman and Fred Weber on drums and vocals. Friends and Family Club, bring them all in here. That lineup only performed once, though. After that, they returned to perform at uh, the Student Governance Center at the 1974 Creative Arts Festival, with a lineup including uh, those two Casal brothers, Bob Lewis, Mark, and uh, Jim Mothersbaugh on drums this time, uh, Mark's brother. Following that performance, the band continued to perform as a quartet, but with a fluid lineup that occasionally included Marx Brothers, you know, the Marx Brothers, Marx Brothers, Bob and Jim, the Marx Brothers, who played guitar and percussion, respectively. You know, so if you're related to Mark Mothersbaugh, you probably get some work from him eventually. He's trying to look out for everyone. It's not a one and done thing. Although, I mean, actually, I guess it is because, I mean, these lineups are performing once and then never again. Well, it might not have been a one-and-done thing, but Devo were similarly not just about music. They also had a very important visual element to them, which they began realizing in 1976 when they released their first home video, which was titled, In the Beginning Was the End, The Truth About De-Evolution. What? Which of those titles is better? I like In the Beginning Was the End. Really? I hate In the Beginning Was the They're so good with titles, though. Uh, Devo? Yeah. And, like, just random. Do you think Devo, in general, throughout their catalog, is pretty good at titles? You know what? Um, this last Christmas, my mom gave me a bunch of random records, and in uh, one of those records is Devo's first album, Question, Are We Not Men? Answer, We Are Devo. Mm-hmm. What kind of batshit crazy shit is that? Like, you have to be on other planets to come up with that kind of thing. And I envy that. Do you think they were worried about people not listening to the record because they put the answer to the question right on the cover? (laughs) What if it was just like, question, are we not men? Wouldn't you feel like you needed to listen to the record to find out? I feel like they might have missed a trick there. Buy the record to find out. Anyway, on that video that I was talking about, uh, in the beginning was the end, the truth about de-evolution. There was the band's first performance at the Performing Arts Festival. And uh, music videos for two separate songs, uh, Jocko Homo, which we already mentioned, and a cover of Secret Agent Man. You know that secret, you know, Secret Agent Man. Do you want to play a second of that here? <laughs> Everyone knows that, right? Their cover? Secret you, you, you want me to drop Man. some of their cover secret. or you want to drop the original? Whatever. Do it. Their cover is really weird. They have a couple of really weird covers in there. Can't get no satisfaction. Yeah. That's on that same album, too. Martin Scorsese put their cover of Satisfaction in Casino, because I guess he was worried that he had already put too much Rolling Stones in it, so he wanted to come up with a way to put a Rolling Stones song in it that wasn't a Rolling Stones song, so maybe it didn't technically count. The genius of Martin Scorsese. He's a master. (laughs) Here's Devo's version of Secret Agent Man. Secret! I'm not gonna lie, that's kinda hot. You were into that, Malcolm? Yeah, it's low-key kind of a banger. Can we listen to Jocko Homo? Because that's kind of like an iconic Devo song. Here is Jocko Homo from that same movie, The Truth About De-Evolution. Because we lost our tail. 
Yo, how did this band get famous? Well, their success really eludes me. Seriously, it's like this. I I I paused on a still in this music video that you know David Bowie would famously be like, oh my god, this is fucking genius, and like send all his producers, and it's just them with like fucking like pantyhose on their heads, making weird faces and hanging out with no shirts. Like it's like it's so dumb. I, I mean, I guess it's brilliant. I guess it's like things have changed so much since the 70s. It was it was so different. It did win first prize at the Ann Arbor Film Festival in 1977. Oh my God! How could you argue with that truly excruciating honor? It was uh, it was also included as an extra on the Criterion release of the 1932 film Island of Lost Souls, which is a movie about an obsessed scientist who is secretly conducting surgical experiments on animals on a remote island, which feels like a pretty Devo concept. And evidently it's actually where the are we not men phrase comes from, is this Island of Lost Souls movie. Wow. And that's why it's that's why it's on that Criterion DVD. I feel like Devo in general has a very like magical mystery tour kind of vibe to them where they just kind of do whatever. Like if, if you've seen Magical Mystery, like the film, like it's a wreck. Like everything about it is an absolute wreck. And I happen to love that album, but it's it's an absolute just nightmare visually, but Trevor, you are a Beatles fan. Uh, I am not very much of a Beatles fan. How, can you speak on this? I can confirm what Malcolm is saying. It's a wreck. <laughs> wreck. Okay. It's a wreck. It's an absolute wreck. Is it worth watching? Yes. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, Death Cab for Cutie got their name from it, so I mean, if if oh. it's worth watching for that alone. Yeah, I agree. I guess it, it's safe to say that it was the beginning of the end for them. And they weren't getting along. John Lennon like ripped the banners off the side of the bus because people kept following them because they were on to like, oh, that's the Beatles. Let's go over there and harass them like it's the Beatles. And they weren't touring anymore. So it was everything about it. They just all hated it. But the music came out cool. So, you know. Very strange. You might want to watch that film to learn where Death Cab's name comes from in the same way that you might want to watch Island of Lost Souls to learn where Are We Not Men came from. You want to talk a little bit about uh, Devo's early live performances? Because from what I read in our notes, they were often quite confrontational. Confrontational how? Well, for instance, uh, a recording of an early Devo performance from 1975, you know, just to give you an idea, ends with the promoters of the venue unplugging Devo's equipment. It's rock and roll, man. What did you have to do? What shit did you have to talk? I don't know too much about what went down at these early shows, but I know that there was a lot of like uh, costumes and character work. Mark Mothersbaugh loved to come up with characters such as uh, Boogie Boy, which is spelled B-O-O-J-I, like, you know, Bougie, bougie, bougie Boy or something, boy? but it's Boogie Boy, and um, the very unfortunately named The Chinaman. Oh. Yeah. <sighs> Talking about Boogie Boy, though, he's got traits of a simian child, and he typically wears an orange nuclear protection suit. Uh. He's played by Mothersbaugh in a mask, and he's the son of another fictional Devo character, General Boy, who was portrayed by Mothersbaugh's actual father, Robert Mothersbaugh Sr. Even in the family, like Parasite. Once again, if you know Mark Mothersbaugh, he will give you work. If you are Mark Mothersbaugh's father, you have a job. <laughs> and like the intent of those characters was to satirize like infantile regression in Western culture and, you know, stuff like that. God, your mind! Oh! They sound. They sounded like. A, they sounded like a crazy live act, though. They. They actually. See, that's the thing. Actually, that's what I wanted to say about truth about devolution. I feel like, and, and you know, those were recordings of live concerts, so it makes sense. 
the I feel like the music was cooler live than it was recorded and listened to on YouTube nearly, you know, fifty years later. I just don't feel like it's I would go to a Devo show today and I'm sure they're all like tell- eighty five and I know one of them is probably dead. Like I would go today. <laughs> And then and they're and their weekend at burning is him on stage like he's just kind of like yeah. <laughs> well, Maxton, you weren't the only one impressed by those performances on the truth about deevolution. Uh, among the film's other fans were, like you mentioned, David Bowie. Oh yes, who began working to get the band a recording contract with Warner Brothers like as soon as he saw it. Crazy. And uh, Neil Young, who asked them to participate in his 1982 film. Human Highway. I really wanted to watch this before the episode and didn't get a chance to. It featured Devo as nuclear garbage men. That sounds about right. I don't know really. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds like something Devo would be into. Yeah. It. I. I just. It, it just. I just imagine Death Stranding with hazmat suits. Something like that. They were asked to write their own parts, and uh, Mother's Bow even scored and recorded much of the soundtrack, which was his first of many times doing so, as we'll talk about later on. The first Devo single came out in March 1977. What was it? What was it? And it was the also very unfortunately titled Mongoloid. The lack of fortune doesn't really stop the title for this one either. No. The lyrics are also pretty bad. Do we want to listen to this one? I didn't have it uh, marked down, but let's let, You didn't let's have take it. You down. didn't have it marked down, huh? Mark Mother's bowed down? <laughs> Why don't you cue All it right. up? I'll, I'll I will cue it up real quick. Uh, should we do the demo video? Why would you original? play the demo video? I don't know. I'm gonna play the one from David Bowie's a funny guy. Video. Like when he like really gets into something. Like remember remember that last album he made right before he died, and it was Black like Star? Black Star? yeah. But no, he 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 said that he he was inspired after he heard um, to pimp a butterfly and was like, oh, I gotta go make an album right now. Like, I feel like that's David's whole thing. Guys, we gotta listen to this super offensive song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wish this song title was offensive, because so far this is a jam. <laughs> like I said, you're gonna have problems with more than just the title. Fuck, this rules. Ugh. I really don't want this to be bad. Can I get the instrumental to this? Because this slaps. Okay. I think you get the picture. Okay. Hot take. He used the word mongoloid probably about 10 times too many. Someone else unpack this with me. What's going on here? I just don't really feel comfortable listening to it. Which is unfortunate because the music... It's, it's a jam. It's a box. Yeah, the music of it is good, but then they start singing. And it's like, oh, and then it has that title. And it's like... Oh. He's a what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah... Yeah, he. Let's yeah. listen to this. Uh, let's listen to the next song they put out though, because I like this one quite a bit. Uh, as heard in uh, Martin Scorsese's Casino, the Devo cover of "I Can't Get No Satisfaction" by the Rolling Stones. Oh baby. Satisfaction. 
think this one rips. This one's very cool, in my opinion. That's for sure, man. In 1978, thanks to uh, recommendations from David Bowie and Iggy Pop, the best friends of the late 70s, <laughs> uh, Devo secured a recording contract with Warner Brothers, and later that year, they released their first album, Q, Are We Not Men? A, We Are Devo, which was produced by Brian Eno, the third member of that best friend trio of the late 70s. True. And it featured re-recordings of uh, their previous singles, Mongoloid and... Gotta have that. Mongoloid. You gotta have Mongoloid on your debut album and the Rolling Stones cover of Satisfaction. You can't get any satisfaction, you might as well get Mongoloid in your debut album. Fun little bit of trivia, since Devo was without a record deal at the time, Brian Eno paid for the flights and studio costs for the band. They re-recorded songs and they got signed to a record label and they started touring the world trying to get people to love de-evolution and that first album went over pretty well well enough anyway yeah then in 1979 they released their second album duty now for the future which uh moved them towards more of an electronic sound and it was considered a disappointment both by uh, the critics and the band itself the classic sophomore slow yeah critics called it a formulaic repeat of the debut album and the band primarily blamed the formulaic sound on the album's producer, Ken Scott. Fuck you, Ken Scott! Yeah, I don't know what Ken was doing with that one. Uh, the ball. Jesus, Ken. Um, but following the album's poor performance, Warner Brothers issued Devo an ultimatum that they needed to either produce a successful follow-up album or be dropped from the label. Oh, my God. Is this not the peak of record label fuckery right here? Drama is, is, not... drama is building. If, if, is this not what they're all about? ultimatums you need to get me this like this i'm not getting this from you uh you, you know fucking ken scott needs to get the fuck out of here you know what i'm saying hits i want hits man next year you need to be selling out stadiums like they can just pull a hit out of their ass so in response to that ultimatum Devo resolved to record a hit single that would bolster their next album's popularity and finally give them radio exposure then in 1979 at the end of 1979 i think they hired audio engineer robert Margaluf to produce their next album and hopefully a hit single to support it. And finally, we begin to talk about what went right. Things. Oh my God. Things started going right shortly uh, after their third album came out in 1980. Everything's coming up, Devo. Yep, their third album came out in 1980, uh, Freedom of Choice, uh, which found them pivoting towards like an almost completely electronic sound with the exception of uh, acoustic drums and Bob Mother's Battles guitar. So to defeat the beast, they had to go in further and 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 commit themselves to the thing that they thought they couldn't do well. Yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. The album's first single, Girl You Want, was selected by Warner Brothers due to its radio-friendly music and lyrics, which the label compared to My Sharona by The Knack. <laughs> Unfortunately, the single performed just as poorly as those issued from the band's previous record. Despite the first single's failure, the band decided to tour in support of the album without a new hit song. But it's a gutsy move. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> I mean, I hope so, man. I mean, really, the label is hoping so. Mark Mothersbaugh's career is really riding on this right now. Fortunately, shortly into the tour, popular American DJ by the name of Cal Rudman took an interest in one of the album's other songs, a deep cut, Whip It, which he began to play regularly. Soon, 
Whippet was being played on several radio stations throughout the southeastern United States, quickly becoming so popular, Devo was forced to temporarily stop its current tour and book larger venues because the concerts were selling out too fast. Nice. That's what you want to happen on a tour, right? That's the call you want to get. It's like, hey, man, got good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? Oh, man, I'll take the bad news. Bad news is we had to cancel your show. Oh, oh man, what's the good news? Good news is we moved it somewhere bigger. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Be a great family comedy the whole the whole time. Whip it! Let's talk about the song itself now. Yeah, I'm excited to finally get here. It peaked at, uh, or it debuted at number 85 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 on August 30th, 1980. And it spent 25 weeks on the chart. That's, that's half, half a, a that, year. That's half a year. <laughs> 25 weeks, half a year on the chart. That's, that is August 30th. That's through Christmas. Christmas 1980. We're banging whip it in, in, the, in the whip. Into 1981. Into, a little bit into like Valentine's and all that. You're still blasting whip it, hearing it from every car in America. Can you believe that? But ultimately, whip it peaked at number 14 on November 15th, 1980. Just a little coincidence there Great. for you. And this is number and, 13. Uh, this is episode 13. Eh, yeah, it finished. Yeah, yeah. It finished the year at number 94 <laughs> on the Billboard Year End Singles chart for 1981. And it was then certified gold in the U.S. and Canada. You know what Meatloaf says, 94 out of 100 ain't bad. He does say that. So, let's talk about the actual music, the composition of Whip It. It was written by Gerard Casal and Mark Mothersbaugh between August and October 1979. Howard Siegel engineered the song while Margoloff served as the producer. I've definitely pronounced that wrong. It's fine. Margoleff? Margoleff. Margoleff. Margoleff served as the producer while Howard Siegel engineered the song. It was recorded at the record plant in Los Angeles and mastered by Ken Perry at Capitol Studios. All these all these record labels, executives in A&R are getting their grubby hands all over this and making sure it's nice and polished and radio ready and just, just ready to take over the charts. And you know who Ken Perry is, right? Ken Perry? Yeah. Didn't he run for president in 2012? No, that's Katy Perry's father. <laughs> Are you shitting me? Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and that man was Albert Einstein. So the music for Whippet was crafted by taking elements from four different demo tapes that Casal had collected. Uh, Mother's Bow composed what became the song's break in his bedroom. Uh, the break was originally much slower and had a classical sound. I don't know what that means. Pause. Oh, God. Okay. We need to talk about what it means. What does it mean? Let's get Let's get cracking, folks. Classical. 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 What's classical? How can you imagine? So like, imagine. We don't need to spend too much time on this. It's one element of the song. On another tape. Fuck it. Let's keep going. <laughs> on another tape, Mark Mothersbaugh played what became the main riff with the drum machine. I'm not sure how you play a riff with a drum machine, but like. This explanation doesn't make a lick of sense. It doesn't. I'm sure if anyone can play a riff with a drum machine, it's Mark Mothersbaugh. Uh. To get things even weirder, <laughs> one of Captain Beefheart's drummers created a beat that Mother's Bow recorded. And then the last demo was a live recording between Casal and Mother's Bow. Casal took those four demos and layered them to create a smooth, consistent time signature. He melted them all into a big pot and stirred them with some garlic, mushrooms, and, and various seafoods. And then Mother's Bow created the song's main riff 
by taking the riff used in Roy Orbison's song, Oh, Pretty Women, and changing the ending slightly. Oh, I love plagiarism. Let's talk about it. Can we hear it, folks? Now that I think about it, yeah. Crack that whip. Pretty woman walking down the street. Pretty woman. That is pretty crazy, though. You know, actually, like, I like, I don't know. The DNA of popular music is, is so, like, full of, like, self-repeating fractal-type things like that. Like, I'm sure Royal Orbison was ripping off somebody when he was writing that, too. And, you know, who was ripping off somebody and, you know, dream within a dream, etc. Anyway, uh, Casal and Mother's Boss both sing on the song, taking alternate turns on vocals. As Trevor described earlier, the two nerdy people screaming. Uh, Casal uses a nasal draw while Mother's Boss sings in a more powerful, quote-unquote, cartoonish voice. The use of two vocalists creates a call-and-response type of effect, which Casal is referred to as kind of like white boys rapping. Kind of. And then throughout the song, there are these whip-cracking noises that were recorded using an Electrocom 500 synthesizer and Newman KM84 and U87 microphones. Terrifying. How do we know all of this? How do we like? Was there a dude who like? They check the mic. They check the microphone registry, dude. Where where they record uh, the microphones used in the production of every song ever recorded. <laughs> I'm glad that we have that. What can you tell me about the lyrics of Whip It? I guess they were written by Casal and were intended to satirize American optimism, as the song's central theme revolves around the ability to solve one's problems by quote unquote whipping it. Whipping it. Other lines include motivational statements like going forward, moving ahead, and it's not too late. When writing the song's lyric, Casal claims to have taken inspiration from communist propaganda posters and the 1973 Thomas Pynchon novel Gravity's Rainbow, which contains satirical limericks about capitalist can-do cliches. Those motivational statements have always been part of what stresses me out about the song. Like, it's not too late. Like, to do, to do what? <laughs> to whip it. What's going to happen if I don't? Like, why is this so important? Go forward. Move ahead. Chill, Mark Mothersbaugh. I'm going at my own pace. Don't rush me. There's no plan B, dude. You have to put your fucking foot on the gas and whip it, goddammit. The cops aren't looking and, and you're running out of time and the bank's about to close and and so is the drive through you got to go man it's there's you know and the 1980 presidential election is about to happen because uh, mothersbow actually offered a different interpretation of the lyrics saying they were written in the form of a subtle pep talk for united states president of the time jimmy carter <laughs> the members of diva supported carter and feared the republican candidate ronald reagan as they should have uh, winning the election mothersbow even once jokingly said in an interview come on jimmy Get your shit together. But online music critic Steve Yui uh, kind of touched into some of the stuff that I've been saying about the song when it comes to lyrics. He noted that despite their novelty, there are like these violent undertones going on in the lyrics. He described the process of whipping it to solve one's problems as a sardonic portrait of a general problematic aspect of the American psyche. The predilection for using force and violence to solve problems vent frustration, and prove oneself to others. And I think he's got an interesting point there. Big time. Is that is there anything more American than that? To offer like another interpretation, 
Mother's Bow believes the song sold well because many people assume the lyrics were about masturbation or sadomasochism. Genius. And like an accompanying music video even depicts those sexual themes, kind of, featuring Mother's Bow whipping clothing from a woman on a dude ranch. Devo, rated H for... Hmm. But despite those misogynistic undertones... The video being popular on the fledgling television channel uh, of the day that you might have heard of, MTV. So let's talk about it. I wonder if they have a good future ahead of them. Tell me something about the music video, though, as I just read a bunch of the notes. So Devo was heavily committed to adding film aspects to his act, even before the making of music videos had become standard industry practice, which befuddled label executives. However, once Whippet started receiving radio airplay, Warner Brothers asked the band to produce a video for the song, granting them a budget of a whopping $15,000. Actually, definitely enough money to get a cool music video made. Uh, in 1980 or today. Hey, I'd love to be paid $15,000 to stand around a dude ranch and whip women's clothing off. The resulting video is set on a dude ranch where cowboys and cowgirls are watching Mother's Ball whip the clothing from a cigarette-smoking woman, a cross-eyed woman, and a middle-aged woman making whipped cream watch from a ranch house while the other members of Devo perform the song in a cattle pen. The band members are wearing sleeveless black turtlenecks and red flower pot shaped hats called energy domes just in case it wasn't already uncomfortable enough you're wearing <laughs> sleeveless black turtlenecks <laughs> like thinking about mark month whipping a woman's clothing off and like the band in like a bullpen like performing the song and there's like a cigarette smoking woman and a cross-eyed woman it sounds like some kind of like weird sexual nightmare and it also makes me feel like Devo is about to come up to me and hand me a pamphlet to tell me to come in and learn more about Scientology. That's really what it feels like. These are our energy domes. That combination of words is just, yeah. Put your hands on our energy domes and, let, and measure your thetan levels. Uh, disclaimer, Mark Mothersbaugh is not a Scientologist. He's from Ohio. The band claims that the idea for the video came from an article in a 1962 issue of The Dude magazine, which revolved around a former stuntman who marries a stripper and moves to a dude ranch in Arizona. For entertainment, the man would use a whip to remove the clothes from his wife who would remain unhurt. Mother's boss stated, that's the kind of stuff that fed us creatively. It was just so stupid and so low, yet so great. The video was partially a reaction to Reagan's previous career as a Hollywood actor. Devo wanted to make a video that satirized both the cowboy mythos and quote-unquote right-wing racist values i could see it here's the thing i feel like devo really wants to be woke but they end up being problematic how does that work they were just a little too far ahead of most people i guess they they got so woke they circled back around and went to problematic which is like that's kind of i mean you gotta like <laughs> give credit where it's due for like i mean trying people just don't get satire dude i guess man South Park season 23 now on Comedy Central. So yeah, the video attracted some controversy. Uh, a lot of people called it misogynistic. Um, Casal said the band members intended the video to appear tasteless and demeaning, but also funny. The claims of misogyny only increased when Devo was cut from a live performance on an episode of the Midnight Special hosted by Lily uh, Tomlin. Oh, that is. Yeah, who the fuck is Lily Tomlin? <laughs> After watching the video, Tomlin refused to host the show unless Devo was cut. I'm sure that was a pretty big day for Devo heads. 
there were also claims that MTV banned the video, but those were ultimately, I guess, proven false. Yeah. I mean, actually, with the popularity of the video, MTV began pursuing Devo and promised them a new platform to showcase their visual works. Devo, however, eventually developed a troubled relationship with the channel. Most of the band's subsequent videos were censored for controversial content or were rejected because the song was not a hit single. According to Casal, quote, as soon as MTV went national, they came up with this new Taliban set of rules. We were stunned and felt jilted. Again, he's exaggerating there. A, a little bit, and again, just a little bit. That's <laughs> judging him by 2020 standards. It's like, Mark, I know you're trying, but like, you, <laughs> the, I don't know. He, he he likes to play fast and loose with the rules, and like, and and people's ideas of like prejudice and stereotypes and like and and a lot of times he's like trying to make fun of something but i feel like when i feel like he could just play into it in the wrong way and i think that's like a problem that's kind of plagued them their entire career well one that was a quote from cassell and two i would i would argue that i mean i would agree that the taliban did historically have a pretty like conservative viewpoint of things fair enough Let's move on. In the band's 40-year history, Whip It remains their only song to chart within the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100. As a result, some journalists have labeled Devo as a one-hit wonder. In his book, 99 Red Blooms and 100 All-Time One-Hit Wonders, a book I don't own yet, Brett Mann noted that the band's strange philosophy on devolution offset its accessibility and wrote, quote, Devo's songs were quite simply too far out in counterculture for mainstream radio. Devo's members have never tried to distance themselves from Whip It and as of 2018 still play it live. Casala said, I'm glad it was Whip It because it was certainly twisted and original. It came from a pure creative open collaboration and that to me is where all the best stuff comes from. It's kind of a refreshing change from characters like, you know, Norman Greenbound who are like, oh, I hate my hit. Never want to play it again. Yeah. Like, it's cool that Devo were like, yeah, that was, we, we killed it with that one, didn't we? We really got it out there and people like clicked with it. Devo has such a strange attitude when like compared directly against like basically everyone else we've talked about. Like there's something, I, I, I don't know. There's something about them being from Ohio that I feel like just makes their expectations for all of this totally different. Like I feel like Devo is just happy to be here. You know what I mean? Devo's just happy to be doing as well as Devo is. It almost feels like they're doing this whole thing just out of spite. Like, because we can. Yeah, I get the impression that Mark Mothersbaugh and, like, to a lesser extent, the other guys are real, like, 4D thinkers where, like, something like pop music success isn't really super important to them and not really why they're right. doing it. But, you know, if it's going to happen, they're at least going to be, like, amused by it. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think Brent Mann's description of why they never really had a successful follow-up is right on the money just that they were too far out there and too counterculture for the mainstream i think like that's a perfect answer to you know our classic segment what went wrong with the success of whip it and its associated album freedom of choice devo had attracted a new more pop-oriented audience that was less interested in Devo's artistic theories and intelligent lyrics. In response their next album new traditionalists was intended to be a much 
darker, deeper, and more serious album. The leading track, Through Being Cool, was a direct attack on new fans who didn't understand the message of Devo. Oh, should we listen to it? We're going to listen to Through Being Cool? Yeah, we're going to listen to Through Being Cool by Devo. Cool, I haven't heard this before. We're through being cool. I feel like that's a solid track to open your post-hit album with. You know what Devo is, in all honesty? Please tell me. Imagine, like, you're in class, and there's always the one person who feels like they have to argue with the teacher about some point, you're just like, please shut up. <laughs> Imagine that, but, like, art school students, and that's Devo. <laughs> the devil's advocate. Semantic art school students. The Devo's advocates. Exa- there you go. That. There you go. Not devotees, devos advocates. But yeah, like you were saying, a lot of the songs in that album are darker. There's a particularly good one that you quoted here called Enough Said, where Mother's Spouse sings about getting all the leaders in the world and putting them in a wrestling ring and making them fight like to the death to see who's going to end up as the final ruler. That's fun. Uh, his mind. You know, as an American, I'd be very up for that. That would be a very Donald Trump thing to do. And unfortunately, I would watch it. He would lose, though, because he would, like, stroke out on instant. But, I'm, you know, hey, survival of the fittest. There's also a song uh, from this phase called Beautiful World that has what is considered by many Devo fans to be their greatest music video, uh, which features uh, Boogie Boy. He's back. Oh. Uh, watching scenes of beautiful women and futuristic cars and other happy things like that, which are eventually replaced by images of race riots and the Ku Klux Klan in World War One and famine in Africa, and all kinds of horrible atrocities, which, you know, I'm sure is some kind of political statement. Devo, there's something in there. Not sure what, but there's something in there. I like them, though. I I like their intent if I don't always, like, love the execution. The tour sounded pretty fun, too. Uh, Apparently, they would perform on treadmills in front of an ancient Greek temple-style structure, which kind of, you know... This is vaporwave as fuck! It also predates that music video that everyone in the fucking 2000s loved by OK Go. OK Go? Oh, man. Oh, man. Imagine being Devo's manager, though, like, just at all times, just sitting back like, guys, what... What the fuck? What is this? (laughs) And uh, during that tour on stage, they wore uh, what they referred to as utopian Boy Scout uniforms, which consisted of a gray button-down shirt, gray slacks, and black patent leather shoes. What album came next? Uh, An album came out in 1982 called Oh No, It's Devo. Because they couldn't call it Oh Shit, It's Devo. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been great. Uh, it was produced by Ryan Thomas Baker. It featured a more synth-pop-oriented sound, although I can't see how they get more synth-pop than what they've been doing. <laughs> With every album, they're getting more and more synthesized. According to Gerald, uh, the album's sound was inspired by reviewers alternately, alternately describing them as both fascists and clowns. <laughs> Both which feel accurate. How did we get so lost, Gerald Casal? That album's tour featured the band performing seven songs in front of a 12-foot-high 
uh, rear projection screen with synchronized video. Only seven songs? That sounds fucking sick. Only seven songs, though? That sounds fucking awesome. Hell yeah, and one of them's Whip It. I guess. They close with Whip It. Yeah. And it's a 20-minute version of Whip It with saxophone. Do you think one of the other six was Mongoloid? Do you think they were still pulling it out? It's still good, guys. Trust me. <laughs> you can't hear the lyrics. It's still not offensive. It's 1982. Then in uh, then in 1984, they released their sixth album, Shout, which was poorly reviewed. Uh, and it's been criticized for its overuse of the Fairlight CMI digital sampling synthesizer. This fucking thing is back. This thing. Everyone's using this thing. AHA had one of these. Uh, fucking a bunch of people have had this damn Fairlight CMI. I feel like this. I feel like AHA isn't the only one, but they're the only one springing to my head right now that we've covered. But this damn machine is cursed synth pop trends man yeah same year as take on me actually 1984 yeah fairlight cmi very big in 1984 following the critical and commercial failure of shout warner brothers dropped devo I mean, that sucks for them they finally did it do you think do you think they were threatening to do it the entire time or do you think whip it bought them the years of goodwill here's the thing it's a record label goodwill doesn't exist okay what does exist are five album deals. So that's what that was. They got locked into a long deal. They were like, oh God, is their sixth album? Okay, yeah. So it's their fucking sixth album, the end of their sixth album deal. And they're like, all right, guys, we are good to go on Devo. Thanks for everything. It's been a beautiful It's been fun, guys. Years. It's been a blast. Yeah. Have fun with uh, that Mongoloid song. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you when we see you. Pretty much, and and not only not only did they get dropped, but uh, after after they left Warner Brothers, their drummer for the past ten years, Alan Mayers, he left the band. Alan, yeah, that caused the band to abandon plans for a shout video LP. Oh, it would have been so good, as well as a whole tour. Oh, it would have been so good. Yeah, fortunately, in the interim, Mark Mothersbaugh did get a gig uh, composing music for the TV show uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. In 1987, Devo reformed with former Sparks drummer David Kendrick to replace Myers. Nice, quick turnaround. Their first project was a soundtrack for the B-movie horror film Slaughterhouse Rock, starring fellow one-hit wonder that we will cover on a later episode, Tony Basil, famous for the song Mickey, as in, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you will my mind. Hey, Mickey, Mickey. I can't wait until we get to that part of the Tony Basil episode, like where we're like, so then she started this Bihar movie, <laughs> Slaughterhouse Rock, which was soundtracked by uh, the band we've talked about in the past, Devo. And It'll be like that part at the end of Space Odyssey where like he's like the older, the younger version of himself is seeing the older version and vice versa. So right now we're seeing the older versions of ourselves, but then we're gonna be seeing the younger ones. Like, so let's all wave to each other right now. And it'll be like at the beginning of this episode when Malcolm was like, hey, this was something we talked about on the last episode I was on. And we were all like... Connecting the dots, man. Bringing it all back. Lots. That's what that's what it's all about. The neurons. So in 1988, they released on Enigma Records, 
Total Devo, which was another critical and commercial failure for the band. In a Total Devo move. They followed that one with 1990's Smooth Noodle Maps, yet another critical and commercial failure. Wouldn't you know it? I'm telling you, these titles are just impeccable. I mean, I'm sure there's... I don't think it's why these things are flopping, but it's not helping. How many... How many... Are they, like, drastically overshooting, like, the amount of records that they're... Pressing, or they're like, all right, guys, this 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 one's gonna be the one. We got ten thousand copies of Smooth Noodle Maps, and we are going to sell the fuck out. Our, our, our two singles, Stuck in a Loop and Post Post Modern Man, are gonna do great. But instead, they actually hold the distinction of being Devo's worst selling efforts, and. All three of them failed to appear on any U.S. charts. Yeah, and to make matters even worse, after that, they uh, tried to launch a concert tour in support of the album, but poor ticket sales and uh, the bankruptcy and dissolution of Enigma Records, who was responsible for organizing and financing the tour, caused it to be canceled partway through. So think about it, okay? Ten years ago, Diva was canceling their tour partway through because they had to book bigger venues because they were blowing up. 1990 rolls around, they're canceling the tour partway through because their record labels in such dire straits that they're going under. Don't it always seem to go? You don't know what you got. Sad state of affairs for Mark Mothers Bound the Boys. You hate to see it. Pave Paradise and put up a parking lot, man. Yeah, and Devo had a falling out, and they played one final show in 1991, and then they broke up. They called it quits. And uh, in, in an interview with Mark Mothers from excerpts from their. Uh, 1996 computer game. Yeah, <laughs> Wait, what? I bet you didn't see the sentence going to that place. Nope. Nope. Devo's 1996 computer game, Devo Presents Adventures of the Smart Patrol. <laughs> what can't they do? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. They're going to the moon in a year. In this interview on side of CD-ROM, that they made five years after they broke up for the second time. Uh, they said, around 88, 89, 90, maybe. We did our last tour in Europe, and it was kind of at that point we were watching This Is Spinal Tap on the bus and said, oh, my God, that's our life. And so we just said things have to change, and so we kind of agreed from there we wouldn't do live shows anymore. They watched This Is Spinal Tap and decided to quit live music. That'll do it. Uh, what, hey, what, the, what the fuck came next, Trevor? So after the split, Mark Mothersbaugh established Mutato Musica, a commercial music production studio along with Bob Mothersbaugh and Bob Cassell. So you got Mother's ba- so so you got Mark and the two Bobs. That's pretty nice of him. He also uh, furthered his career as a composer and later worked as an audio engineer. Um, like we said earlier, his earlier his works include uh, those for Pee Wee's Playhouse and Rugrats, several video games, cartoons, and uh, films where he worked alongside several times my favorite director Wes Anderson, one of my favorite directors, Wes Anderson. I was about to question you on that, but then you then you corrected yourself, and I was like, okay, yes. I did, yes. Um, for those playing along at home, my favorite film director is Stanley Kubrick. Wes Anderson true. is my second favorite film director. Can we play something from one of Mark Mothersbaugh's uh, Wes Anderson soundtracks? Yeah, why not? Yeah, can we do that? How about uh, Let Me Tell You About My Boat from The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou? Yeah, let me, let me let me run that one on YouTube real quick. 
I did not like this movie that much. Yeah, everyone really, really raves about it, and it really only. No, you have, you have terrible taste in film. I know. <laughs> my favorite movie is what is my favorite movie? My favorite movie of all time. There's this really cool descending melody coming up that this part. in the best elevator in the world. Pretty far removed from the Devo material. Very pleasant. Dude's got range when it comes to writing music. Yes, I and I, I and you really have to respect that. Like, from the, you know, the Rugrats theme to, like, this to, like, Whip It and, you know, like, Jocko Homo, like, really, like, you know, like Malcolm said, what can't they do? Yeah. Honestly talented guy. So while they didn't release any studio albums during this period, they sporadically reconvened to record a number of songs uh, for various films and compilation, including a cover of the Nine Inch Nails hit song Head Like a Hole for the 1992 film Police Story 3 Super Cop, and a re-recording of Girl You Want for the soundtrack to the 1995 Jamie Hewlett adaptation Tank Girl. Yeah. Pretty neat. It's all cool. January 1996, Devo performed a reunion concert. They're back. Devo, again. Oh, no, it's Devo. Oh, shit, it's Devo. They performed a reunion concert at where else but the Sundance Film Festival in Utah. Of course, they played Sundance. In Utah. In Utah. The band then performed on part of the 1996 Lollapalooza tour in the rotating mystery spot on these tours and most subsequent tours Devo performed a set list mostly comprised of material from between 1978 and 1982 ignoring their Enigma Records era material uh, the Lollapalooza tour was well received enough to allow Devo to continue playing with them and to return in 1997 as a headliner and from 1997 onwards they performed sporadically so then after that Mark Mothersbaugh started the Devo side project The Wipeouters in 1999 uh, that band featured himself Bob Mothersbaugh, Bob Gasal, and Mutato Musica composer Josh Mansell uh, and they performed the theme song to the Nickelodeon animated series Rocket Power. So Mark Mothersbaugh now has two Nickelodeon theme songs under his belt. Really cutting those Nick checks. And in 2001, they released an album of surf rock material titled Patwang. Patwang! In 2005, Gerard Casal announced his solo project, Jihad Jerry and the Evildoers, the Evildoers themselves, including the other members of Devo, and released the first EP, Army Girls Gone Wild, in 2006. <laughs> a full-length album, Mine Is Not a Holy War, was released on September 12, 2006, after a several-month delay. The project received little promotion beyond a music video for the song Army Girls Gone Wild. Jihad Jerry performed at several shows near the end of Devo's 2006 tour, performing the song Beautiful World, and occasionally with other bands. Casal is quoted as saying, people are kind of freaked out by the Jihad Jerry stuff. I thought they'd all think it was really funny and get off on it, but people are really offended and scared. I think that's it. I don't want them to have Jihad Jerry to kick around anymore. I feel like that's a great quote to just sum up Devo. Yeah, we thought people would think it'd be really funny, but really they're just offended and scared. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're just really going for a whole weird owl thing, and no one's buying it at all. Yeah, yeah. You guys like you guys are dead serious. Uh, in 2007. Oh, thank uh, fucking God you skipped this entire paragraph we know to talk about where you give further details about Jihad Jerry. I was really afraid you were going to just launch into it nope. and I was going to have to stop nope. you. Nope, I wasn't going to do it. Okay. I was like, I was not, listen, I, I, I may have no judgment, but I at least have enough judgment to not do that. In December 2007, Diva released their first new single since 1990. Watch us work it. No, thanks. Featured in a commercial for Dell. It would go on to be the first single from their first album in 20 years. Something for everybody. So let's watch them work it real quick. love when bands basically write the same song they've written before again and it's really obviously trying to be that same song that's okay that's fun feels like a solid devo track late period devo devo's back you know did they ever really go away like three times yeah I admire how well they are. They stick to their guns. Like they had a thing, and they're like, "No, this is it. Like it's this or nothing." And then Warner Bros. was like, "It's nothing." And clearly, Mark Mothersby was capable of writing like other kind of music too. So he must really just be interested in sticking with this sound for this band. This is what he wanted. So Devo was awarded the first Moog Innovator Award on October 29th, 2010, during Moog Fest 2010 in Asheville, North Carolina. The Moog Innovator Award has been said to celebrate, quote, pioneering artists whose genre-defying work exemplifies the bold, innovative spirit of Bob Moog. They make great synthesizers. Is it not Moog? No. Oh. Who told you that? I don't know. I could have sworn it was Moog, yeah. Not not true. That is Moog. This is like the whole Moops thing. It is like the Moops thing. <laughs> it, it, anyway. Yeah. A documentary film about Devo entitled Are We Not Men and directed by Tony Pemberton started production in 2009, but it was still in post-production as of 2018. What's going on there? Development (laughs) Still working on it. (laughs) I'll tell you, in September of 2017, the official Twitter account for the documentary, I guess documentaries have Twitter accounts these days, uh, operated by music and film producer Jeff Winner... (laughs) Stated that the film was finished years ago and that Mark Mothersbaugh is blocking its release. Not going to win this one, buddy. Winner, who <laughs> is also the consulting producer for the Devo documentary, went on to state that he and Pepperton had delivered the film that was contracted and on schedule. It's now in the hands of the band to decide when and how it's released and distributed. Devo does not approve. Yeah, I guess they don't like it because as of now, it's never seen the light of day. Maybe maybe sometime we'll, we'll get to see Are We Not Men. Directed by Tony Pemberton. When they die uh, and, and they have to plunder the archives like 
Temperance. Something like that. But in October 2018, they were announced as a nominee to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think they did not get in. Yeah, well... Do people really, like, really, 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 really care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because it's in Ohio. Like, I'm not going anywhere that's in Ohio for, like, leisure. That sucks. They were the hometown favorite, and they still lost. I feel like, though, like, if that Rolling Stones cover is any indication... Like Devo would like they. I feel like they've just spent their career making fun of rock and roll almost. You know. Yeah. True. Like they don't feel like they belong in the rock. They feel above the whole concept of a rock and roll hall of fame. Oh yeah. Like like imagine imagine all the kids at Kent State that that would go on to become the members of Devo, thinking about the rock and roll hall of fame. They would probably like laugh at it. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 the establishment. It's it's, it's normie bullshit. Man. Is, we're in Devo. We're, devolution they would want their little exhibit because you know everybody in the the hall of fame they get their little thing like a plaque or whatever they would want theirs like in a building across the street (laughs) and the building is an energy dome it would be cool to go in and see like some nice like cool sleeveless black turtlenecks on some mannequins and be like oh those are the ones they wore in that video where they whipped that woman's clothes off (laughs) (laughs) anyway what's what, what what do we have next to talk about Several journalists view Whippet as a cornerstone of the development of new wave music in the early 1980s. Who doesn't? I think something worth noting that I wanted to point out earlier when we were talking about Mark Mothersbaugh's career as a uh, as a film composer. What's up with like dudes from 80s new wave bands becoming film score composers? Because you got Mark Mothersbaugh coming out from Devo to produce some film scores. You got Danny Elfman coming out from uh, Oingo Boingo. Uh. You got, I just learned this today, Hans Zimmer was originally in the Buggles of uh, Video Killed the Radio Star fame. What? Right? He played keyboards and he's in that music video. Is he, he, he gets royalties from that song. I'm sure he must get royalties from that song. Whoa, we're going to talk about Hans Zimmer on the Bungles episode. Yeah, who would have thought? Wait, the Bungles aren't a one-hit wonder. They had Walk Like an Egyptian, which had to No, that's the Bangles. That's a different band? Yeah, you're thinking of the Bangles. I hate one-hit wonders. That sounds about right. Anyway, (laughs) the song's popularity can largely be attributed to its distinct originality. Gerard noted, there's been nothing quite like Whippet in the top 40 before or since. According to David Shue from Pop Matters, Whippet had transcended popular culture because it has been featured in several television episodes of The Simpsons, Family Guy, and Stranger Things. Obviously. Obviously, it has transcended pop culture if it's been in those three shows specifically. And like we talked about it at the top of the show, it was also featured in uh, a plethora of television advertisements for brands including Bonds, Gateway, and Swiffer. In the Swiffer commercial, as we saw at the beginning of the show, a middle-aged woman performs robotic dance moves while cleaning her house. The commercial uses a slightly altered version of the song, replacing the lyrics Whip It Good with Swiffer's Good. (laughs) Devo agreed to perform the song for the commercial because they found it to be absurd. I love See, it. See, these are guys who like are not chasing this shit. It just falls into their lap and they laugh at it. Like, yeah, of course we're going to do the Swiffer commercial. That's hilarious. There's something even funnier coming up very soon that I can't wait to talk about. Mother's Boss stated that performing in the commercial, quote, is coming full circle to be commenting on a conspicuous consumptive culture and to be fed into the hopper spit back out the other side several other companies have altered the phrase whip it for their commercials to lyrics such as flip it 
chip it, and dip it. However, they later regretted this decision. During an interview with the Dallas Observer, Gerald Casal has said, It's just aesthetically offensive. It's got everything a commercial that turns off people has. I think specifically he was talking about the Swiffer one there. Max, the discussion question for you. Come up right now with your own spin on Whip It. Ooh, live. You got Flip It, you got Chip It, you got Dip It. Bop it, twist it, flip it. What am I, what, what am I selling? What am I selling? What would fit that phrase? I have to, it's, it's, what is the commercial is the thing, is the real question. What is the commercial? That, what is the product? I'm literally just asking you to fucking come up with a word that rhymes with whip it, like those other advertising. <laughs> Zip it. Idiots did. Zip it. Zip it, Zip it Trevor. Got it. Zip, zip it. it. Very good. When a problem comes along, you must zip it. Zip it good. Uh, I want you to picture, though, a recruitment video uh, filmed by... Uh, the rival gang that goes against the Bloods in Los Angeles. <laughs> Crippin. We got some covers to talk about? Of course we have covers to talk about. Am I me? And of course the first person, like, who who else would have covered this song in the 80s besides classic entity of music covering Alvin and the Chipmunks? Oh, boy. So many of these records. I think I, I think we got this one. I really love it. What's next? Um, next up is uh, uh, the brother of director uh, and musician Rob Zombie. Power Man 5000. That just sounds like a vacuum. <laughs> what, Power Man 5000? Yeah. <laughs> if you could have a number in your name, what number would you choose? Never mind, just play the song. Ooh. God, I love Spencer's. He's really cracking that whip. Huh? He's really cracking that whip. He's cracking it hard. This sounds like Andrew WK. A little bit. Imagining that Andrew WK is performing this makes me like... I can't hear what you're saying over the music. Huh? So this this next cover you got in the notes here is labeled... Moby's death metal version. <laughs> yep. You ready to listen to it? Guess I'll ever be. Me. 
This is from the album where he went hard rock. Gotta say, this works really well. Okay, Max, I'm gonna need you to stop playing this song right now. <laughs> this song was giving me a fucking panic attack. There is at least like four things seriously wrong with Moby. <laughs> Remember, like last year when he was like adamant that he went on a date with natalie portman and she was like no oh yeah yeah he was like no you were there that's that's one that's one yeah that that's that's at least one he got in a beef with eminem yep that's two that's two just just he's just aggressively bald three um so are you though mm, he mm, <laughs> sorry he's just, he's, <laughs> at least i have the courtesy to wear hats all the time like that's you can't just be that bald and just out here <laughs> That's true. No, it's, so that's what you mean by aggressively bald. Yeah, like people have to look at that. Okay, so you are you are politely bald. So I I can't accuse you of being aggressively bald. Exactly. I take like, that back and I apologize. Like I have yes. I have a weird shaped head. I have to have protection. <laughs> true. Anyway, uh, you got one more thing to go, and then we're out of here. Cool. What's next? No, he needs to name what's wrong with Moby. Oh. No, that was that was four. No, that was three. Being aggressively bald, the Natalie Portman thing, the beef with Eminem, and oh, oh, this was four. This is four. Got it. Yep, that's great. Yeah. Yep, perfect. Yeah. All right. So uh, now, um, uh, hit band Pearl Jam, they uh, evidently loved Devo and Whippet so much that on Halloween during the longest concert of their career, they dressed up as Devo and performed whip it on stage i think that's the moment during the longest pearl jam concert of all time that i would officially start to lose it like i'm picturing just being in the crowd there for maybe like five hours so far and then the band like puts on some red hats and bursts into whip it i'd just be like well this is it for me i hope everyone had a good time god this is encore number six i just want to go home oh he has a whip he has a whip and he's whipping the microphone Good Casale and Mother's Bow impression. Pearl Jam, though, not really a band I would expect to see covering uh, a group like Devo. No, not at all. They seem way too cool for this. You know, Devo are real, like, art students, intellectuals, and Pearl Jam were, like, a figurehead of the grunge movement, which always had more of, like, a working class kind of vibe about it. And he's also, like, they got 
the lead singer of Pearl Jam to get out of the for a couple minutes and open his full throat, which is pretty interesting to hear and like doesn't fully make sense to my brain. Uh, Eddie Vedder, man. And now for the best cover. Yeah, and one of my favorite things associated with Devo, period. Yeah, yeah, you you, so yeah, you, you already really know like about this. this. this sure, I'll, t- I'll intro this one. Uh, Please. It's one of the more, I think, unusual covers we've discussed on the show. It's by the American teen pop band Devo 2.0 yeah. for their album Dev 2.0 in 2006. <laughs> this was a band that was created by Walt Disney Records in an attempt to emulate the popularity of the Swedish pop group, the A-Team, which was a group of teenagers that exclusively covered ABBA songs. Unbelievable. So this was a band that, under Disney's oversight, covered Devo songs for a teenage audience. How do you come up with this? Like, you, like who is listening to, like, imagine picking up, Q, like, Q, Are We Not Men, A, We Are Devo, and going... You know who I could really see marketing this to? <laughs> Teens. Like eight-year-olds. Like they get like mongoloid. Like they get to mongoloid. Why aren't there 14-year-old girls singing this? Like it just makes so much sense. And like if that's not the, that's not even the best part. I think the best part is that not only did Walt Disney Records form this band, <laughs> they brought in fucking Casale himself. Yeah. Gerald Casale to serve as the band's manager. Yeah. And he agreed, <laughs> yeah. reasoning that Devo 2.0 furthered Devo's belief that everything humanity creates, including Devo's own songs, will ultimately devolve. Isn't that fucking beautiful? That's <laughs> very funny. He had to rewrite several lyrics to remove sexual innuendos and references to drugs and suicide, although not on Whippet. We can have the kids singing about mongoloids. We can't have them singing about drugs and suicide. <laughs> well, let's take a listen to these devotees. I feel myself devolving. When a problem comes along, you must whip it before the cream takes out too long. You must whip it when something's going wrong. You must whip it. Now whip it into shape. Shape it. Get straight. Go forward. Move ahead. Try to defend it. It's not too late to whip it. Whip it good. I can't believe record label fuckery has an official. And. Okay, I have a, I have a, I have a discussion question for both of you guys. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, flashback to your teenage years. You oh. were offered the opportunity to be in a teenage cover band, covering like one band from the late seventies or eighties. What teenage cover band are you in? It's gotta be seventies or eighties. Yep. Uh, I'm in um, ACD Kids. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> what about you, Malcolm? Parliament. Parliament Kids! Parliament Junior! Oh, that would be pretty sick. That's a, That would be an awesome cover band. Parliament. That'd be a good one. What about you, Trevor? I would want to be in a Joy Division cover band, and we would be called Boy Division. <laughs> Actually, if you did that in 2020, that would work. If you got... 
if you reformed One Direction and made them perform Joy Division songs, One Division, One Division, it would it would be absolutely <laughs> it would it would sell like hotcakes. I swear to God. And I think that takes us to our attributes. Oh, it does. Once again, it is time for the best part of One Hit Wonders of the World. My favorite, for sure. You know, me too. Where me and Trevor come up with attributes to describe the song we've just spent God knows how long talking about. We can, I believe we are currently at the uh, one hour, 49 minute. Jesus Christ. 30 second mark right there. Ooh, lady. <clears throat> we were, we, every episode we create attributes for every song and we rate these attributes on any scale we want, but it has to be the same scale per episode. And since Trevor has significantly hyped his uh, revelatory uh, attributes. Mine's going to be yeah, fun. His revelatory attributes to me. I will volunteer to go first. Uh, so my scale is whip quality. Um, so, you know, Jared Casal's nasally background vocals contrasting against Mark Mothersbaugh's cartoonish lead whips it very good. It, it whips it. It whips it very sufficiently it's a good whip it's, it's a sufficient whip however the metronomic propulsive drum break just whips it great just 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 really keeps it chugging along i know it gives you an anxiety attack but it, it gives me euphoria it's a great whip i love it whipping it better is the legendary chugging bass groove that is like it's kind of a better whip. It's 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 it whips just just a smidge above the rest. But what what I would say whips it best is the major minor vamp during now whip it into shape. That part fucks. That part is awesome. Like that's like it's like that's the most anxiety inducing part of that song. When you're in the gym and that part comes on, you just start benching the entire gym and people just start looking at you like, why am I in the air now? It's it's incredible. But yeah, those are my attributes. Now, Trevor, I have long awaited to hear your attributes. All right, so when I originally sat down like a month ago to compile my notes for the show, I came up with the idea to use various different stages of human evolution as my attributes. Okay. But, you know, that's kind of more like a little more intellectual than I feel like we usually like to get on the show. Sure. So I was trying to come up with something else, and it finally came to me like an hour ago when I was struck by what I think is a really inspired idea and also kind of almost a throwback to what I know is a much-beloved attribute segment from our very third episode. Okay. uh, the, The Neat Awards. Okay, interesting. Yes, I forgot about these. Ma- Maxton, Malcolm, are you guys familiar with the breed of dog known as the Whippet? No. Well, the Whippet is a medium-sized English descendant of the Greyhound, characterized by its slender, almost semi-emaciated looking body, and its long limbs and snout. They kind of look like the uh, shitty battle droids from the Star Wars prequels. You should look up a picture of them real quick. They're funny looking dogs. <laughs> Is this spelled like W H I P P E T E T? All right. Well, this is a pretty cute dog. Yeah, they're they're one of my favorite breeds of dogs, and I hope the members of Devo like them too. Because tonight, I am going to be awarding my favorite aspects of Whippet with a different number of Whippets at the first annual Whippet Awards. <laughs> but but Max, and that's not all. Okay. Okay. What what else are you giving away tonight? 
I didn't tell you this because I didn't want to ruin the surprise. Oh my God. But I've actually invited some special guests onto the show to help us announce the awards. What? So guys, if you'd please join me in welcoming our guest presenters to the stage, here to help me let the dogs out. Oh no. It's the Baja Men. Who let the dogs out? Oh my God, they're here. Oh my God, the Baja Men. Oh my God, they're back. I can't believe it. I, I appreciate your commitment to the bit, but I have to tell the listeners at home, I, I do not have the Baja men here in the in the studio with me. We're just going to do this ourselves. <laughs> but let's get, the, let's get the first annual Whippet Awards underway, okay? It says right here on the Wikipedia page for Whippet, speed, 35 miles an hour. I'm going to... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to... The first attribute of the, uh, the first element of the song I'm going to award an attribute to is the call and response vocals, which I believe we... Uh, described earlier as like two white boys rapping. I hope they win at least a whole dog. I'm going to give them two whippets. Pretty good. One each for uh, Mark Mothersbaugh and uh, Gerald Casale. Okay, so it's the, this isn't like a, this isn't like, you know, delegates or Oscars where you use a maximum potential whippet count and you're not, you know, like two out of five whippets. There's no maximum whippet count. These boys could be going home with a lot of dogs. Today. Infinite whippets? A lot of whippets. I know some drug addicts who would like to be there. So the next uh, award I'm going to give out to is those uh, is to those whip cracking sounds. I'm going to give that a uh, nine whippets appropriately in honor of the only kind of whip that I know, the cat of nine tails. I hope that they can take care of so many dogs. It's a lot of dogs. Um, the lyrics, sexual and sadomasochistic undertones. I'm going to give those 101 whippets. Jesus Christ. Because I, I do agree with Mark. I think that was a pretty big part of why so many people kind of couldn't get the song out of their heads. I think there was something deeper going on there. All right, all right, all right. Back to trucking. All right, go. All right, over there. All right, guys, bring the whippets in. Can we bring all those dogs in here? Get yeah. them all up on the stage. I know. It's going to look super impressive when they're all up here. And for the last category, for the last category I'm going to award, I'm going to give the concept of whipping it, you know, capital W, capital I, whipping it, metaphorically and whatever else that means, I'm going to give that one the whole litter. So, holy shit. Right now we are opening the ceiling and we are flying in the helicopter full of a crate of whippet dogs. And they all... Guys, Bring in all those, all all the auxiliary whippets. Just get them in here, because everyone in the audience here gets a whippet tonight. You get a whippet, and you get a whippet, and you get a whippet. I'm the whippet Oprah. I am the Whipper Man. Whipper Man 5000. Whipper Man 5000. He's the Whipper Man. Thank you all for attending the first annual Whippet Awards. Ah, uh, it was a great night here at the. I hope we get another one of those. You know, you don't say first annual unless you really mean it. Oh, I'm sure we'll be back next year. <laughs> I gotta get I gotta get rid of all these whippets somehow. Well, if you can help us take some of these myriad dogs that we have off of our hands. Please take these dogs. Some of them are very sick. Yeah, um, so we could actually email the dogs to you, but you have to reach out with your impassioned emails or audio recordings 
to one hit wonder cast all spelled out at gmail.com uh for the chance to be featured on the show and a, a chance to for us to virtually teleport you a whippet uh and thank you for listening you can find us on twitter where our handle is at one hit wonder cast with the numeral one out front um that is our only online home, except no substitutes or imitations. Uh, I really want to thank our special guest of honor, uh, Malcolm Wiley, a.k.a. Super Chunk. Oh, that's me, huh? I don't feel like I said your name at the top of this thing, and I'm really sorry. I think I think I, I think you did. I, yes, I, I did. Yeah. I hope so. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sue. Plus, they know who I am. They remember. They know who this is. They, they re- know this voice. They re- they remember the, the 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 warm, familiar, silky voice of episode five. Back to massage. They know what time it is. Of course. Exactly. And we know what time it is. It's time to wrap this shit up. So, without any further ado, I've been Max and Stenstrom. I've got a bunch of dogs to take care of. I'm Trevor Ickrath. <laughs> Malcolm. I'm also Max Nistestrum. What? No! It's official. Good night, everybody. Stay wonderful. Later. If, you're, if I'm you, you're me. You're me and I'm you. I am he as you are he as we are me and we are all together. Guys, some of these dogs are, are peeing on the floor. We really got to start moving on.